الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم والذين آمنوا أشد حبا لله فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فإن حبك لشيء يعمى ويسم سبحان ربك رب العزة أما يسفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم The idea of love within our religion is not something foreign. Unfortunately, many people, especially in today's day and age, they assume that love is not directly connected to our deen or love doesn't have a place in our deen. In fact, <clears throat> it's quite the opposite. Love is actually the crux and main driving point of our deen. When you look at the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, it was their deep love for the Prophet ﷺ that caused them to change themselves from being people who were deep in disobedience and transform them into people of deep obedience. It was the love of desert Arabs who used to worship idols who all of a sudden got a taste of truth, tawheed, and oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that allowed them to leave their ways of worshiping idols and stones that they constructed with their own hands and brought them to sub such submission that they left their food in desire of fasting, they left their sleep in desire of tahajjud, and they left their livelihood in desire of jihad. Why? Because their deep love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says about them, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبَّ As for those who believe, they are very intense in their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now this love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that does not happen immediately. It does not happen all of a sudden. For some people, if they're fortunate, maybe a, uh, a switch will flip within their minds, within their hearts. But for most people, it takes time. And that's the nature of love. The nature of love is that it has various levels. The Arabs say there's 10 different types of love, or levels of love. And thus, you don't just say love as we say it in English, as a former English teacher. You know, it's a very restricted term, love. What does it mean? But in Arabic, we have so many more descriptions of love, and so many more examples of love, and so much more literature about love and so many more stories about love because love transforms individuals at their level and takes them to an entirely new experience. Now when we speak about love, we have to take a step back and we have to recognize that love did not always exist. Love did not always exist. Why? Because love is a created concept. Love is a created concept. Everything in this world has been created except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Imam Tahawi rahmatullahi alayhi mentioned Qadimun bila ibtida He always existed, there was no beginning for him Daimun bila intiha And he will always continue to exist and there will be no end for him Allah ta'ala mentions That he is the beginning, he is the first and he will be at the end Nothing precedes him, nothing will come after him and then when he made creation, when he set up this entire system that we live in today, he created an emotion that we term love. 
If he so wanted, he did not have to create this. He could have made other uh, emotions and left love out of the picture. But anyone who's experienced any type of love, they know that there is almost no force as strong as the force of love. When I used to teach high school English, some of you were in my English classes when we, when we were all younger, and I taught a book called I Am Legend. I Am Legend is a book um, that comes in the horror section of most bookstores. And it's about the last man who's been left alive on this earth, who did not succumb to an illness, an ailment that spread throughout the world. Everyone else who caught this ailment, they turned into vampires. They turned into vampires. So we discussed this entire uh, book and we discussed, you know, different things. Not zombies, that's the movie. We're talking about the actual book, the things that are worthwhile. Um, you discuss this, then you go on to Poe, you go to um, H.P. Lovecraft, and you discuss these various elements of horror. And then the question that I pose in an essay that some of you probably actually have written is that what is the strongest emotion? What is the most intense emotion that a person feels? And many people, many people because this is framed in the discussion of horror, they say fear. Fear is the strongest emotion because fear drives a person to keep himself safe or herself safe. Fear causes a person to make sure they don't stumble or fall. But then when people answer with fear, the natural next question is that if you fear something, you fear it because of a love of something else. Look, if I fear my car getting damaged, it's because I love my car. It's the truth. If I don't fear my car getting damaged, I don't love that car that much. If I fear something happening to one of my children, it's because I love my children. If I don't fear something happening to them, likely it could be that there's some lack of love over there. If I fear something happening to my body, it's because I have a deep love for my body. But if I don't fear something happening to my body, perhaps it's not that complete love over there. So I would argue that love is the strongest emotion because when someone loves something, then there are actual physical manifestations of that love. Someone watches a game, their favorite team is playing, and now their favorite team is up by many, many points, and then they end up losing. You see these people go this entire spectrum of emotions. They begin to, uh, they, they begin to have hope. Oh, we're not going to lose. We're up this much. There's only this much time left. Then there's anxiety. Okay, now I'm panicking. They're coming back. Then there's denial. No, this isn't happening. And then finally, years later, there's acceptance. The idea is basically that people, and you see them having this, they're sweating, they're crying. You know, people, their team wins the championship, people are crying. You hear when the Cubs won the World Series, people were visiting the cemeteries. They were telling their grandparents, grandfather, I'm telling you today, the Cubs won the World Series. It's such, an, it's such a crazy emotion. Being a fan, what's a fan? A fanatic of something, having that deep love and passion for something, that it drives people to go visit the same relatives they have not visited all year, and they go and they sit in front of the grave and they're retelling the entire tenth inning of the last game, game seven, right? Because that's what love does to a person. It drives a person to an entirely new level of realization and reality. In order to prepare for this evening, I was reading a book called Rawat al-Muhibbin wa Nushat al-Mushtaqeen The Garden of the Lovers The Garden of the Lovers And it's written by Shamsuddin Abu Bakr bin 
Qayyim al-Jawziyah, rahmatullahi alayhi, one of the great students, and probably the top students of Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, rahmatullahi alayhi. And in this book, there's so much discussed, it's almost 500 pages, so obviously with the remaining 45 minutes, I can't cover 500 pages worth. But if you're looking for a good book to spend some time with, and you're married, if you're single, don't read it. It's just going to make you depressed. If you're married, spend some time with this book. If you can speak, if you can understand Arabic, or have someone read it to you, if they can translate it for you. It's a, very, it's, a, it's a wonderful text. Tonight's talk is going to go to a lot of stories in this text. And the citations are present. And I want us to understand through these stories that you're not alone. Oftentimes people think, oh, you don't understand. No, I understand completely because I've been through it. You always have, you know, so many kids, they come and say, you don't understand, I love her. No, I understand completely. Because once I was also 14 years old, and I thought I also loved someone, only to realize I barely was old enough to understand what's going on in the world. You know, and you'd be surprised how many 14-year-olds come, I found the one. Brother Saad, I, it's always, Brother Saad, I found the one. I found her. I remember one in particular, that's, he's not here right now. Um, I just want to make sure... <laughs> He lives in the area, but so he's not here right now, okay. Guy taught in the area. So he came and he was 14. Eighth grade. Eighth grade, hasn't even gotten to high school yet. And he came and he told me his whole plan. He's going to work part-time after school and he's going to be able to support his wife. And he began to explain the entire dynamics of the situation, the ramifications. She's going to earn, he's going to earn. I'm looking at this kid and I'm trying not to break his heart. I'm smiling, oh, subhanAllah, that's a good idea, it's a good idea. Because you know in the end, these things completely implode anyway. They never stand up to this test of life. And he, he's completely convinced that I love her and she loves me and we're going to make it work out somehow. And don't think, oh, you know, look at these without any haya and modesty. I'm talking about people who study in madaris. You know, it always happens. Don't think it's just the boys' school and the girls' school from the private Catholic schools. It also happens in the Islamic schools. It also happens in the madaris. It does. It does. Why? Because I've been in the madaris. I've been in the madaris in this country. I've been in the madaris in overseas. So I know what happens. Because everyone is now connected through this gadget. And everyone is now somehow able to... Yeah. One of the brothers I mentioned who is sitting here today, and I apologize, I'm not going to expose your name. Alhamdulillah, had a great transformation in life. He desired to grow closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what was the reason... Because he fell in love, and his age, which will not be, uh, will not be exposed, at his age, he found an alima, mashallah. And now they're in love, and they're working for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah accepted from them. Inshallah, they get married one of these days too. The idea is that it's not only, people say, oh yeah, this person, not my son. Everyone is affected by it. Love is a natural inclination. And Mufti Azaz, I don't know if he's here, but I actually believe in love, in, uh, love at first sight and love before marriage. If you put it on that grade of the 10 different levels of love, you won't take it to the last level. So now love, it doesn't happen without some sort of catalyst. It's, a, it's almost like a metaphysical chemical reaction. I mean, can that term exist? Something, you know, they talk about fire, like fireworks just, you know, going into the air. It's something like that. Now, love, when people fall in love, and I, I find it funny that they fall in love because to fall is not a good thing. 
You should ascend towards love. And that's what Sahaba did. Sahaba, they ascended to love. We all fall in love. So when you fall, you actually get hurt. You scrape yourself. Nothing works out. No one's walking in front of you know, a group of people and falls and says, Alhamdulillah, I'm glad I fell. I look like a great person. No. But this, in this society, we fall in love because it's usually accidental. So this idea of love, it has some sort of catalyst. Something has to start. I've mentioned this before while sitting in this room. But if I were to tell you, there's a very beautiful woman outside, would you be attracted to her? Some of you might say yes, but the reality is no. You haven't seen her yet. And if there's some level of attraction, or for the sister advice, there's a very handsome brother outside, would you be attracted to him? Maybe because that knowledge was placed in your mind, in your heart, there might be some attraction. But until you go see the person, there's not going to be complete attraction. The attraction of our dunya, really it comes from the physical, uh, the physical capability called eyesight. The eyes, they are a window into the heart. And when the eyes identify something, then it triggers the beginning of this emotion that we call love or any other emotions. It could trigger hatred. You can see someone to be completely upset with them. You can hate them. You can be complacent. So you can be despondent. There's many things you can, you can have these reactions. But the eyes, the ulama, they mention that the eyes, they are the things, they are the means, the capability, the capacity by which an individual first begins to fall in love. So in order to control the eyes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives a directive in Qur'an. And He says to the believing men, يَغُدُّ مِنَ أَبْصَارِهِمْ To lower your gaze. And He says to the believing women, يَغُدُّنَّ مِنَ أَبْصَارِهِمْ To lower your gaze. Now it's very interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He begins these verses by giving a command to the Prophet and He tells the Messenger of Allah sallam, to say to the believing men, to say to the believing women, Although, this level, you, don't, you can say, okay, over here, mu'mineen and muslimin might be mutaradif and they're synonymous over here. But the reality is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have said, qullil muslimin. He could have said, qullil muslimat. He could have said that. But he chose the idea of iman. He chose the idea of true belief. And if you look at this concept, the people of iman, the people of faith, the people with deep connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are the ones who usually desire to lower their gaze. Why? Because something has already encaptured the hearts. You know, I meet some uh, husbands when they get married. Sisters, I can't say I meet some wives because I don't meet some wives. But I'm sure the same applies for you all as well. I meet some husbands when they get married, they become very loose in their gaze. All of a sudden, this couple's night's out. I'm meeting such such couple and they sit at the same table and they talk. I find this very strange. I'm going to advise you right now, never do that. I was once with uh, Mufti Abdul Rahman bin Yusuf. Uh, he's a very, mashallah, amazing scholar. We were, we were together and a brother came to him and said, Assalamu alaikum Mufti Saab, my name is so-and-so. And, and this is my wife. And Mufti Saab was a very tall man, six foot four or something, took a step back. And he sort of gave, and I'm five foot six, so you know, I'm really on the lower part of his eyesight. So he looked down at me like, what is this guy doing? And the reality is, what was this guy doing? Because either one, if he looks to her, he might find her attractive. And that, he didn't look to her, he lowered his gaze. And that, that vision is restricted for the husband. She might look to him and find him attractive. There might be some exchange, and now the marriage before, which was without turmoil or without any type of conflict, can have the inclusion 
and the, the intrusion of shaitan coming in and trying to cause some discord within the marriage. The eyes are very powerful. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the believers, He warns us about using our eyes. Why? Because the heart, it is the place for the remembrance, submission, and love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when the heart looks at something else, it now begins to cause conflict in that interaction. I'll give an example. A husband is married. That husband is married. There's one shaykh, I don't want to mention his name, but he lives in a part of the world where many of the women, they wear niqab. In fact, his entire village, they wear niqab. And he was saying, actually I'll mention his name, Sheikh Nuhamin Keller. He was saying that, for me, I find my wife the most beautiful woman. Now he said two things after that. He said one, because I really believe her to be the most beautiful woman. But two, I don't interact with the world outside of my village. And within my village, the women are all covered. So I don't see any other woman. And that's the reality. If someone loves his wife, or someone loves her husband, and now sees someone who's attractive, and now the husband, you know, it's been 10, 15 years into the marriage, it's been two, three kids, and for some reason the husband ballooned. Normally the wife would maybe gain some weight because she had the children, but maybe the husband has sympathy weight put on, he wanted to share it with her. But now he's gained weight as well. Now the wife sees the other person, and he's in very good shape. And unlike, unlike uh, her husband, his hairline is not running away from him. And she begins to see him, that's obviously going to compete with what is in her heart, which is love for her, for her husband. Or the husband's driving, he gets to work, he's a dentist, his hygienist comes by, and his hygienist obviously is looking for good reviews and looking for a raise, so she's going to treat him like a king. The wife at home is not looking for good reviews or you know, uh, you know, anything of that nature. She has access to the bank account anyway, so she's not necessarily treating like a king, although we should be doing that with one another. And so now, he looks upon her. He discusses with her. He converses with her. And now, these things, they seep into the heart. And the person who has love for something, when a competitor comes into the heart and begins to cause that conflict, it's very difficult for that person. Because the person wants to have wafa. And the person wants, how can we translate wafa? Um, yeah, loyalty. Person wants to have loyalty and be committed to their spouse or whatever the case may be. But all of a sudden, things are flipped upside down. So, the believers, not just the people who submit. Because when Allah Ta'ala speaks in Quran, when people said, we believe, Allah Ta'ala says, don't say we believe. Say we've submitted. You're at the basic level of Islam. You haven't risen that high yet. Allah Ta'ala still has to take you to those heights. So when we look at love, in order for us to begin to protect our hearts from falling into love and falling into the mishap of stray love, we have to be guarding our eyes. Now guarding our eyes is not referred to, you know, uh, when I see something, I lower my gaze. Because the eyes are, are better than your smartphone cameras. Because they take a picture within a moment. And it goes right into the hard drive, which is the heart. And it saves itself right there. And at night when no one else is around, that little mouse goes in and clicks the heart and the file folder opens up and all these images pop up. A person who is strict about his or her eyes, they guard those images from coming in. Because when those images come in, it causes that conflict and turmoil. The heart begins to become occupied by other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now you might think this is not a big deal. This is, everyone is like this today. First of all, I want to advise you, myself first, uh, first and foremost, and all of you, that just because everyone does it, doesn't mean it's the best thing to do in the world. I know people say, well, my parents always say, if, if everyone jumps off a bridge, won't you? Yeah, probably. The bridge is probably broken. There might be a fire behind me. Everyone's jumping for a reason. Everyone's going to do it. Granted. But 
What else is everyone doing now? Everyone's getting divorced. Everyone's getting divorced. I deal with so many divorce cases weekly. So many weekly. That it's just, it's just insane sometimes to see, literally, just right now, I was speaking with some of the brothers walking around, and we just found another person got divorced. If someone's divorced here, I'm not saying anything bad. I mean, this is permitted for a reason. But nowadays, it's taken as the first option. If you look, brothers and sisters both, at marriage, one of the beautiful things about marriage, technically, is it's the first of many things. It's the first of many things. If the eyes have been capturing images and opportunities and situations and scenarios and saving them inside the heart, then when a person's with his wife or her husband, those things will begin to come out. Now, they don't come out innocently. Shaitan doesn't bring it out when you're happy. You and your wife are having a good dinner. You and your husband are having a good dinner, whatever the case may be. And now Shaitan brings it up. He doesn't usually do that. Shaitan waits for what? A small spark. And then he pours the gasoline. So what does he do? Now the husband and wife get into a fight. And now the husband is sitting there thinking, man, I was just making a joke. I didn't know she was so sensitive about her weight. I had no idea. And I was just cracking a joke. And so now the husband, he gets upset. So Shaitan comes in. Oh, remember so-and-so at work? She loves all of your jokes. She's always laughing at your jokes. What's wrong with your wife? No, no, not what's wrong with your wife. What's wrong with my wife? Because my colleague at work loves all of my jokes. We don't know half the backbiting that occurs behind our back because we're the superior at work, so no one knows. Then the wife, why does he make fun of me? So-and-so's husband, she's had seven kids. And she, you know, has been struggling with her weight. And he's always complimenting her. I always hear that, uh, from her that he's complimenting her. Why can't he be like that? And now, shaitan begins to, or she'll think, oh, so-and-so in college, maybe she's a fresh under, out of undergrad. You know, he was always, he always complimented me. Always said my hijab is so beautifully uh, suited to my skin tone or whatever the case may be. And he wasn't even Muslim. And he's complimenting me. My husband doesn't compliment me. That's when shaitan brings those things out. He doesn't tell you when your wife on the first night is dressed so beautifully and your husband has spent eight hours a day the last two months getting ready for the wedding night. Every, now, he didn't compare you with someone else at that moment. He waits five, six months when now the husband comes home and, you know, he doesn't, you know, cut his hair properly and he throws his clothes on the side and, you know, he's cleaning his nose with his hand, whatever the case. Then he comes out. So if someone has nothing to compare the spouse with, naturally the spouse will be greater. And the issues that we have today, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I don't care what it is, Snapchat, everyone is bombarded with images. And don't think just, be, how fast does Snapchat delete the whatever? 10 seconds. It's out of there in 10 seconds. It will take 10 years of dhikr and muraqabah and istighfar and tawbah to hope it gets out of your heart. It doesn't get out easily. It stays in there. Because when those things come in, they grow roots deep into your heart and they cling into your heart. Those things do not get out. Why do I know this? Because my past is not the best of pasts. I'm not a horrible person, I hope. But based on experience, I know the things you see, you listen, you experience, they remain inside of you and they haunt you until Allah Ta'ala gives tawfiq for it to leave. It's very hard. And when it destroys something that's beautiful like a marriage, then it becomes even worse. 
So love, the, our ulama, they mentioned very clearly that love, the eyesight has to be protected. The eyesight has to be protected. And if the eyesight is protected and the different vehicles by which they may enter into the body, because the ears also play a role, the nose plays a role. You know, you can smell a scent, it attracts to that person, now the eyesight captures it. It usually comes back to the eyes in the end, but it brings it into the heart. I know it's hard. I grew up, you know, not about 35 minutes away from born and raised in the Chicagoland area. I know it's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy. But the reality is, is that things in this world were never meant to be easy. If it was meant to be easy, it'd be called Jannah, but it's not called Jannah. So many times brothers and sisters, they come and they say things like, oh, but you don't understand my situation. My husband's like this and this, this and this, this and this. Another piece of advice I want to give you. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. In fact, this world, if it's a place of test, the reality is you will likely be tested through your marriage. That which you love the most, you'll be tested through. There is no excuse for an individual to say, because of this and this, I am not progressing. When Asiya radiallahu anha can gain the proximity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as described in Quran at the end of Surah Tahrim, then we also know that we can gain it despite the fact that there may be someone in our house who's preventing it. She had Fir'aun in her home. Now I want you to look at Asiya radiallahu anha for a moment. Here is Fir'aun. Here is this tyrant of the worst tyrants throughout history. And he comes forward and he has given the ruling that all young children, boys who are born must be killed. Then after that, because he's realizing that the manpower, literally the manpower, is going to die out in his ummah or his community or his, his people, he decides that every other year the child will be killed. A newborn boy will be killed. Sorry, I'm really sensitive to others. Um, and so... <clears throat> so the child, so now all of a sudden, Musa Harun is born in a year where there's no issue. Musa is born in a year where there's an issue. The child is placed within this basket, this box, and sent on the river. It happens to arrive in the land of the Pharaoh. The servants, they see it. One goes to open it, the other uh, tells her not to open it because if we open it, there's some property, some gold, some wealth in here, then we might be blamed for stealing some. So they take it untouched. Now, here it is. Fir'aun, he has this child in front of him. And he, his intuition, a specific situation occurs where the child tugs the beard, it leads him to believe this is the child who's going to overthrow me. Who's going to stop Fir'aun? No one. He is a person who does not listen to anyone. He does not stop at any length to get what he wants. Yet Asiya radiallahu anha, she turns to him and with the love that she's shown to the tyrant, her husband, is able to win him over is able to win him over to the extent that he keeps the child. He's not happy because she said, perhaps it'll be a coolness for me and a coolness for you. And he says, no, no, just a coolness for you. And some of the ulama mentioned, if he said for me as well, Allah would have saved him from his fate. But you see the power of love. The power of love, it's able to take hearts like the pharaohs, which rock is probably softer than the heart of the pharaoh, and manipulate it. So it's a powerful thing. But all love, its power is based upon its source. 
If the source is defective, then the output will be defective. And if the source is powerful, the output will be powerful. If you have a faulty outlet and you plug something into it, you will see the lights, the microphones, they're not functioning properly. But from the source to the output itself, if everything is in line and functioning properly, you will see strength in it. Love works. The secret of love is to know the source of love. This is why Rasulullah he marries at 25. 10 years later, he's 35. He's my age, 35. His blessed wife, she's now in her 50s. In a polygamous society, and yet he does not care to marry anyone else. Because that love was fueled by something much stronger than just mere looks, etc. And we see that. Because when, he's in the, uh, when he runs down from the cave, she says, لا تخزيك, لا تخزيك, لا يخزيك الله أبدا. Allah Ta'ala will never waste you. Why? إِنَّكَ لَتَسْلُ الرَّحَمْ وَتَحْمِلُ الْكَلْبُ إِنَّكَ لَتَسْلُ الرَّحَمْ وَتَحْمِلُ الْكَلْبُ How is it? تَكْسِبُ الْمَعَدُودُ وَتَقْرِ الْدَيْفُ وَتُعِينُ عَلَى نَوَائِبِ الْحَقِّ أَوْكُمَا قَالَتْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا She describes these characteristics. She doesn't say you're a handsome man. And you're a good husband. She's describing the foundations of their love. Their love is based on more than looks and more than kind words. Based on service and submission and monotheism and helping the community and being good within the household. So it's much stronger than perhaps the love of Romeo and Juliet, for example, or anyone else. Love, it's based upon the source of that love. So when we marry, sometimes people say, oh, but you know, Rasulullah he also mentioned, He said beauty. Yeah, beauty is there, but if that's the source of your love, then I guarantee you, give yourself five, ten years, it will come to an end. It will come to an end. Because beauty comes to an end, and if you love something temporary, that's temporary, it will be temporary, it's not going to exist. But if you love something that's everlasting, Allah, Al-Baqi, then it will never come to an end. And the love for the spouse based upon the love for Allah will allow that person to look at his wife or she will look at her husband and there'll be wrinkles and gray hair, there'll be loss of hair. And they'll find beauty in that person. Why? Because something is deeper. Something drives that's deeper. Now we don't have much time, so I want to go into some of these amazing stories that Ibn Qayyim um, mentions in Rawd al-Muhibbin. And I just found out that last year, Moana, Tamim used this text over here as well, right? I didn't know that, but uh, that's cool. Um, it's, mashallah, it's a great text. I recommend all of you to, to, uh, to read it. I had a copy, then someone borrowed it. And you don't let people borrow books. So it never came back. Then I had another copy, then someone wanted it, so then that copy went away. I was using a PDF, then I just ordered this one. I didn't know they were going to send me the miniature version. So bear with me while, while, if, if you may. Okay. Now the, the stories in these chapters are, 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 are mesmerizing because it lets us all recognize that you're not alone, that others before you have faced it, and granted they face much worse. See, what do we face? Where that guy in high school, a girl walks by and she drops a sheet of paper by us and then she stops to pick it up and we think, oh man, she did it on purpose. No, she didn't. She was late to class and she dropped it accidentally. You know, you're that girl in college and the guy walks by and he accidentally bumps into you. 
And you're thinking, oh, he did that on purpose. No, he didn't. Girls just take up half the hallway for some reason when they sit and talk to each other. As a high school teacher, I'll tell you, that's what happens. They walk in this duck V formation, and then it's hard to get around them. So he bumped into you. It's nothing personal in a good or bad way. But if you look at the stories over here, you see, subhanAllah, they had to face something. So let's begin with some of these stories. Okay, so we'll begin with this story. The first story is mentioned from Jamia Tirmidhi in a hadith of Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhumah. And he mentioned the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned that there's a man by the name of Dhul Kifl. There's a man by the name of Dhul Kifl. In Dhul Kifl, what we know about him, that there was basically no sin, except that not only did he indulge in the sin, but he mastered the sin. He knew his sins inside out, not only by knowledge, but by experience. And so, there was a woman. And this woman, who the opportunity presented itself to him, he gave her 60 gold coins. He gave this woman 60 gold coins. When the, uh, and what was the exchange for the 60 gold po- coins? He desired her. He desired her. So she comes into his presence, and the opportunity now is at the brink of him being able to go forward and do what he needs, or what he wants, not what he needs. And at that moment, at that moment, what happens? She begins to panic, and she begins to weep. She begins to weep. So he asks her, why are you crying? Did I force you to do this? And she says, no. But I've come up in such dire situations in my life that I have nowhere to turn except to do this. I have nowhere to turn except to do this. So when he sees this, and then she, uh, he sees that she does not want to do this out of her fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells her, you get out of here and take the gold coins with you. You leave, take the gold coins with you. And he sees her immense modesty and desire to be subservient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be chaste. And what does he say? He makes a vow. I swear by Allah that I will not disobey Allah. Uh, that Dhul that Kifl, he speaks about himself, will not disobey Allah ever after this day. But it so happens that that night he passes away. And when he, when he passes away, That he wakes up and written upon his door is what? قَدْ غَفَرَ اللَّهُ قَدْ غَفَرَ اللَّهُ that verily Allah has forgiven Sometimes people say I have no choice I'm driven by desire Understand when the stakes are high The return is higher When the stakes are high The return is higher He wasn't just talking to her in the marketplace They were in the bedroom No one else is around And the opportunity presents himself And what does he do? He sees her submission to Allah and he decides to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was a master of sin. He indulged in sin. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that one moment of remorse and that one promise took that life of sin. And what did he say? He wrote upon the door of Dhul Kifl that verily Allah has granted forgiveness for Dhul Kifl. Now how many of us, don't raise your hand. Not many of us can say we've been in a similar situation. There's there's more uh, written over here about the story, but I don't have much time, so I'm going to go on to the next story. 
It's the same story. I'll go to the next one. Okay. So in this story, there was a, there was a woman. And this woman, she, there was a very handsome boy. A very handsome young man. There's a young man, a beautiful, a very handsome man. Think like me, but a little more maybe. So he was selling, he was selling these baskets. And so someone had passed by him and sent, and this woman was given notice of uh, the beauty of this man. And a, a person came and said that I've seen, that she saw this man and she desired him. So she set up a situation where that man should come to her. An excuse was made. So he enters. What happens? Um, she, the door is locked. Then again, he enters the next room. The door is locked behind him. Then he comes in and the daughter of the king, she unveils her face and she makes clear, these are my intentions. So he turns to her and tells her, cover yourself. May Allah forgive you. And then so she says, I didn't call you for this. I didn't call you for you to lecture me. And then he turns to her, she turns to her, uh, to him and says that I desire you. So he turns and now look, He's inside the room, a door is locked behind, another door is locked behind, and there's someone working with her to make sure no one enters the room. Perhaps some of you have been through this. Likely most of you haven't. So now what happens, she says this, and he says, fear Allah. And then so she says, if you do not do what I ask you to do, then I'm going to tell the people that you came into my home and you tried to overcome me. You tried to rape me. So he's worried. So he says, fine, let me do wudu. She says, okay, you can do wudu. But now she calls her helper. Take him to do wudu on top of the palace. I don't want him to do wudu on the ground where he can run away. Take him to the top of the palace, have him do wudu there. So now he's stuck because his plan was... So then when this happens, he realizes he's stuck, and so he thinks, and he turns to Allah. He says, Oh Allah, I have been invited to sin against you. And verily, I am choosing at this moment to fling myself from this castle rather than falling into this trap. I am willing to throw myself on the top rather than fall into this. So then what does he do? He throws himself. One thing is to talk about it, another thing to do it. He throws himself. When he throws himself, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَحَبَتَ malakan bi An angel comes and grabs him by like the shoulder region, catches him. He throws himself. I don't want to deal with this. I'm quicker, I'm happier to end it than fall, than, than fall into that trap. I'll fall from these heights than fall into that trap. The angel grabs him and brings him down. Brings him down nicely until he lands upon the earth. Then the man turns, recognizing that his face is a fitna. He says, Oh Allah. He says, Oh Allah. If you will, please grant for me some provision so that I can give up selling in the marketplace. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends him a man who brings these golden locusts. He mentions locusts. 
and or these golden items and it places it and fills his cloth with it so the man stops the man who's given this the one who threw himself in the heights he said oh allah in kana hadha rizqan if this provision that you razaqtani he min dunya fabarik li fi if this is what you've given to me for my provision of this world then bless it for me i'm happy to accept it but if this is going to take away something for my reward in the akhirah then fala hajata li fihi i have no need for it so then a voice called out to him and said that this is only one part of 25 parts of reward you're going to receive of your patience that you just shown so he said oh allah if this is the case and i have no need for it he did not want to part ways with that one part now look what this means he's tempted by a beautiful woman of power and this is one of the seven people who are under the shade of allah ta'ala's throne to escape he tries to make a plan the plan is thwarted now it's pretty much life or sin or death or sin he throws himself allah saves him then allah rewards him so he doesn't have to fall into these traps again and what does the man say if this means i'm going to lose even a small bit of my akhirah then i'm not going to accept it and the reality was one small part out of 25 parts but he said that's not for me i'd rather give it all up i don't want that reward this is love for something greater this is love for something greater there's another story Should we start with the stories right away rather than talking the first one? Okay. Okay. What's the next one? Fifty-four. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, Abdul Malik bin Qurayb he mentions this story that there was a man who desired a woman, a young woman from a group of women, and he had a deep love for her. So he went to her. This is interesting. He went to her to propose. He's taking it the halal way. We were talking about love over here. Love sometimes we get mixed up with passion. He proposes to her. So thamtanat wa ajabatu ila ghairi dhalik. She denies the request, but she proposes her own proposition. I'm not going to marry you. but come back to my place so this is her proposition now no strings attached you know no mahr no nothing no strings attached win win right so what does he do faaba he rejects this and he said la illa ma hallallah no except for what allah makes uh makes halal for me and then at that moment she rejects that she says no i'm going to give you myself but not through a halal means of marriage i don't want to tie myself down so what is uh, what is uh, abdul malik bin qurayb mention at that moment not only does he say no but he says i no longer have any need for you i don't desire you anymore he was desiring her so much so that the vision of her caused him to come and propose but when she opted when she gave him the option of doing what doing it the haram way the love left his heart This reminds me of one of the ulama. So this is a very famous story of Barira in um, in Mughith within Hadith. Mughith was a man who wasn't um, gifted in in looks. And Barira, his wife, radiyallahu anhuma, she was very beautiful. When she was granted her freedom, she now was going to take advantage of this freedom to separate herself from the marriage to this man. And so she 
chooses to separate herself and when she does this her husband was madly in love with her so the narrations mention he went to Abu Bakr he went to Umar he asked them to intercede on his behalf until he went to Rasulullah and he asked Rasulullah to intercede on his behalf when he comes to her and says you know poor Mughif you know this guy reconsider and so she says is this, a, is this an injunction is this a command or is this a request he's like I'm just interceding it's my opinion so what does she say? I have no need for him. Now one of the, now I, I have not found the citation of this. I'm going to be open. I have not found the citation of this. I was looking, I didn't find it. But I trust the scholar. So when he was speaking about this, he said that when Mughif, a man who would walk the streets, weeping so much that the hadith mentioned his entire beard would become what? When he found out that she turned down a request of the Prophet ﷺ, all the love for her left his heart. That's what it means to love. Remember I said, it depends how powerful the source is. His love for Allah is greater than her. So at that moment, his love for her left the heart. And at that moment, she loved, fell in love with him. But it was a little too late for her. Now that's one of the ulama had mentioned this. I have to find the citation of it. So I'm mentioning openly, I don't know the citation. Another story. Okay, sorry, hurrying, hurrying up with some of these stories. Okay. So in this story, it's also very interesting. Okay. Wahab bin Munabbih, rahimullah, mentions, there was, a, there was a righteous worshiper from the righteous worshippers of Bani Israel. And he used to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intensely in this designated area that he established for himself. One day, a man from Bani Israel came to a woman who used to be involved in illicit haram acts. She used to sell herself sometimes. And he came to her and he offered that I'm going to give you money. What I want you to do is go tempt him, take him out of his piety. So, فَجَاءَتْهُ فِي لَيْلَةٍ مَطِيرَةٍ فَنَادَتْهُ فَأَشْرَفَ عَلَيْهَا What happens? She comes to him in a dark night that's raining. And she calls to him. And when she calls to him, فَقَالَتْ عَوِينِ إِلَيْكَ That she asks for, uh, for her to be given permission to enter. فَتَرَكَهَا He leaves her. وَأَقْبَلَ عَلَى صَلَاتِهِ He just returns to his prayer. He continues praying. It's a beautiful woman. So she comes back, Ya Abdullah, Aweeni ilayk. She's asking, give me some shelter, let me in. Don't you see the darkness of the night? Don't you see the, the harsh rain that's falling? So what does he do? He lets her in. When he lets her in, in a small sanctuary that he has, She lays down next to him close by. And what happens? She makes herself viewable to him. And he sees her beauty. And the beauty, and she calls him to, to, to her. And it's alluring him. فقال, so what does he said? La wallahi. No, I swear by Allah. Hatta anzura kayfa sabruka ala nar. He talks to himself. He says, No, I swear by Allah, until you can show me how patient you are with the hellfire. So he goes to. That he goes to a, the lantern and he puts his finger inside and leaves it in until it burns. He pulls it away. And he returns back to his prayer. He recognizes 
If I do with her what she's desiring, and perhaps what his heart is calling him towards as well, then he's going to face a greater fire. A greater fire. So he returns to prayer. But then his self, his nafs begins to call him again. To go to her, go to her, go to her. So he stands up. He goes back to the lantern. He puts another finger inside. He burns it completely. He realizes I cannot bear the fire. He returns back. Then his nafs begins to call to him again and again. And he stands up and he walks over to that lantern, puts another finger inside of it until it burns and he realizes, I cannot stand the fire. And he returns. And the woman, she's watching this. And she becomes so overwhelmed, that she passes away. And this is a bit of a predicament. So in the morning, and then uh, Imam Ahmad, rahimullah, he mentions this, continuing the story. That in the morning, he sees what happens. And the people see she's died in his sanctuary. So they say, O oh, enemy of Allah, O oh, evil person, you did this act with her and then you killed her. So we are taking you to the king so he can punish you. So the, 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 the ruling is given that he should be killed. So at that moment, this young man says, Give me respite, two rakah. I just want to pray two rakah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, fine, you can pray. You, you always pretend to be so pious, go ahead and pray. So he prays to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says, oh my Lord, indeed you know. Verily I know that you will not let me be seized by which I did not do. But I ask you that you not even expose me while I'm being whipped. Is his care for himself. At that moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala faraddallahu nafsaha faqalat. He returns her. He gives her life again. And she says, Unduru ila yadihi. He says, Look at her hand. And she, she rises from the dead. She says, Look to his hand. Look at, because what was his hand? It was burned last night because he kept reminding himself the fire is greater, the fire is greater, the fire is greater. And he kept his love for Allah higher than his desire for her at that moment. And they saw this and they freed him. Another story, stories are quite enjoyable. There's another story that's mentioned, Umm al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. Hussein bin Abdurrahman, he mentions, that's mentioned to me that there was a young man from the people of Madin to Munawwara. And he used to be deep in his observance of all of his prayers with Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu. And Umar radiallahu anhu, he noticed when this man is absent. This man, he became... A woman fell in love with him from Medina. And look, if this could happen in Medina to Munawwara, then even in, you know, Lombard Sharif, these things can happen. So don't think it's a different time. Even the greatest people were tested. And they were tested in ways that perhaps you and I may never be tested. But it shows us that if they had the will to stay away, we too could have the will. I didn't mention the name of any prophet. I'm not telling you Surah Yusuf. Surah Yusuf is a great story, but then you'll say, well, he was a prophet. That's, 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 I'm not mentioning Surah Yusuf to you. I'm mentioning just people. They're just people. And so this woman, she goes and she says that, she wants that she can um, tempt this man and enamor this man. And so what does she do? So she 
So this woman, she's older, she's, she, she stays in the pathway. And when he walks by, he said, I am a, she said, I'm a woman who's older. And I have uh, sheep that need to be herded. I have sheep and I'm unable to milk them. If you can come and milk them for me, that would be a great favor. So he was a person who desired to always do, do, do good. So he sees a woman who needs help, he's going to go help her. He comes to her. When he comes to her and he enters, he sees no sheep. Surprise, surprise. So she says, sit here, I'm going to come back. So now the woman... Okay, let me take this back. There's a young woman who desired him. An older woman was helping her in this plot. So the older woman said, sit here until I return. And at that point, the young woman came to him. Excuse me, I misquoted it. The young woman came to him. When she came to him, she desired him. And she openly expressed her desire for, her, for him. At that moment, when she presented herself, she offered herself. No one is around. He rejects her. And he says, what? Ittaqillah. Fear Allah, ayyatuhal mar'ah, a woman. And at that moment, she hears this, and he begins to weep. And he begins to weep, and he begins to weep, until... Um, he begins to weep, and then she cries out. And she screams, and she says to the people, that verily this man, he came to me, and he tried to rape me. So now, not only is he telling her to stay away, and he rejects her, and he feels bad about what's happening, she calls the people, and they come. They leap upon him. They come and they begin to beat him. And they're beating him. And what crime did he commit? Umar is now, he is, he is praying, and he notices the absence of this man. Umar radiallahu anhu, this case is brought in front of him. And they come and they say, Oh Umar, such and such has happened. This man has taken himself upon this woman. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he turns to Allah and he says, Oh Allah, don't change my opinion of this young man. So then he, he asks, what happened? What happened? And so they say that last night this, this woman... She was entered upon by this man And he tried to take advantage of her And we, we took him And we answered her call We leapt upon him And we began to beat him So Umar said Okay, you, what do you have to say? So he related the whole story And then he said Okay, do you know this woman who's old? They said, no But he said, yes You'll find her from such and such area And they begin to search And they begin to search And no one knows her no one recognizes her until finally they come to this woman. And when they come to this woman, the woman says, yes, actually it is true that I tried to set up this whole collapse of this young man to fall into uh, lust with this woman and to sin with this woman. I have two stories left, but the time is done. Do I continue the story? Do I end? No, I'm asking for us. What do I do? Continue? 35? Okay, cool. <clears throat> Okay, you know, let me skip to these stories over here. <clears throat> Abu Idris al-Adawi, rahmatullah alayhi, mentions, there was two men in Bani Israel who were well known for their worship. They used to worship Allah Ta'ala excessively. And there was a woman who was very beautiful, so they fell in love with her. 
They both fell in love with her. And they would hide behind the tree and begin to glance upon her and look at her and desire her. And both of them kept their secret from the other person. Then one day, they both became caught in this, so they realized the other one wanted this as well. So they came to her and they said, Look, you know our position upon our community. They think we're righteous worshipers and they'll believe anything we have to say. So if you do not mm, succumb to the will of myself, of, our, of myself, my companion, of us, then we're going to say, we saw you commit zina with a man. She said, I'm not going to do it. I fear Allah, I'm not going to put myself in disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they seized her. And they took her to the king, to the judge, and they said, verily, we saw a man with this woman. We witnessed this. And you know our position. So the Nabi of Akbar, Nabi min Anbiya, so the Nabi was brought forth and they placed a, a chair for him to sit upon and they said, uh, so it was said to, to, uh, to judge between them. So they said, look, you need to judge between us because verily we are two men and you know us. So when they said this, one of them, so when they said this, the Nabi asked, behind which tree were you when you saw this? Behind which tree were you hiding when you saw this? We're behind such and such tree. And they asked the other one, which tree were you hiding behind when you saw this? I said, such and such tree. So, when they said this, they were told, they gave this confession to the Nabi. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent fire from the heavens and it burned both of these men and it exonerated this woman. You see this woman, bad situation. But what does she do? She keeps her taqwa in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and she reneges against doing any type of ma'asiyah. Okay, there's another story. Oh, that's a good story too. Okay, I'll do this one more. I want to mention a point then I'm going to end it. Hussein bin Muhammad Ad-Damighani has mentioned that there was a man who came and passed by a village. Now, this is going to be a bit explicit, so I'm going to try to speak in um, metaphorical terms. You just have to follow along with me. If you're young, don't follow along with me. So he passed by a village, and he saw a very beautiful woman, and he desired her intensely. So she said, look, I'm not pure. He tried to come upon her. She said, I'm not pure. So she went to her home and he followed her in. Sorry, no, no, sorry, that's another story. I'm going to skip that story. That, that one is very interesting too. She gives him a book to read and it has a powerful effect. But I'm going to leave that one. So this one, this story, Wahab bin Munabbi, he mentions that there was a man who was a great worshiper of Bani Israel. And one day he became overwhelmed by the sight of a woman that he saw. So he decided to come upon her and he decided to he decided to put himself upon her. She was in this situation and she realized she had nowhere to escape. So what did she do? He came upon her to uh, fulfill his desire and she had nowhere to escape. And next to her was a hot coal. And so 
throughout the entire time where he came upon her to fulfill his desire, she pressed her hand on that hot coal, burned her hand. After he completed what he had to complete, he turned to her and said, why did you do that with your hand? And she said, I feared that perhaps I might enjoy this as you are enjoying yourself. And I didn't want any enjoyment in this sin. So I pressed my hand to burn myself, to keep myself from any enjoyment. You know, we always say, brother, you don't understand, it's so hard. Yeah, it feels easy for these individuals. I only read you a small, if I had 10 more minutes, I want to mention one more story. It's a very beautiful story, but I don't have 10 more minutes. Because dinner time. I want all of you to think of the following. There's certain times within our deen when baby spoke. Can you give me one example when a baby spoke? Isa al-Islam, he spoke. Why did he speak? Defend his mother. And you'll hear about Juraj, the righteous worshiper. Why does he speak? Why does the baby speak in this story? To defend Juraj against a tuhma, a, 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 an allegation against his honor. What about in the story of Yusuf a.s.w.? A baby speaks. We see this unheard of miracle that happens only a select few times. Why did they happen? To preserve chastity. So love is love, lust is lust, but Allah is Allah in the end. So there's one more story I can't do right now because we're out of time. I see Muthi Azim creeping up. So I'll, I'll tell the brothers it, inshallah, during brother's time, inshallah. It's a very beautiful story. It actually will relate to you much more than this because it gives you hope. It gives you hope. So, and. Yeah, and that one, alhamdulillah.